All right, if you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, please, chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. As you turn in there, I'd like to welcome those who are watching by live stream. I am so grateful for the men and women who work on the live stream, provide that for our viewers. Hardly a week goes by that we do not hear from someone. Sometimes people that used to attend our church years ago hadn't been here in quite some while. Some people we never even heard of. We don't know from the man in the moon, write or call and say, I've been watching the services online, how much I appreciate the messages. My wife spoke to a lady, her and her husband and daughter used to attend here probably 25, 30 years ago. Her name was Mary Lowther. You might remember George and Mary Lowther. I'm dating myself. Probably my wife and I are the only ones who do. <laughs> uh, they attended here probably in the early 1990s. And so uh, she spoke on the phone yesterday, and she says she watches the services every Sunday. She lives in Hawaii. Her husband has now passed away. Her daughter, who when we first started the early services, played the piano. She, as a teenager now, she's 40-something years old and has her own children. And so I, the phone call made me feel very old, <laughs> but also very grateful for those who do the live stream because she says she gets a, such a blessing out of the services and watches them every Sunday. So gentlemen back there, you're doing a great job. You have a ministry to people that you may not ever know this side of heaven that's trusted Christ or encouraged in the faith because of your ministry back there. Thank you so much. If you would, let me give a quick review of the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we have the uh, three divisions of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 in verse 19. It tells us here of the three-point uh, division of this whole book. Revelation chapter 1 verse 19. Here the, uh, it says, Write these things which thou hast seen. That's chapter 1. And the things which are, that's chapter 2 and chapter 3, and the things which shall be hereafter, that's chapter 4 through chapter 22. Generally, the ones that get the most interest is chapter, the things which shall be hereafter, talking about the prophecy of the future, that we're going to get to eventually. But we are now in the middle part, the things which are, and talking to the seven churches. And chapter 2, we're going to be in verses, uh, verse 8. Uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 speaks, uh, these are uh, letters or messages written to churches, but the person speaking is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is telling John to write these letters to these churches. So these are messages from Christ himself. And uh, verses 8, if you just go ahead and read verse 8 through verse 11, and then we'll uh, back up and look at this tonight. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know thy blasphemy, the blasphemy of them which say that they are Jews and are not, but are the, of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which shall, thou shalt suffer, Behold, the devil shall come, uh, uh, cast some of you into prison, that they may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath ears, let him hear what the, uh, the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt uh, of the second death. 
So let's look at this letter tonight to the church of Smyrna. This was a little church that existed in the time of John that the Lord Jesus was writing, told John to write a message to them. So again, when look in verse 8, it says, Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now the word angel here, I believe, does not talk about an angelic being like, uh, like Satan was or uh, 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 an angel that appeared unto Mary and something like that. The word angel means messenger. And I believe this is a letter to the, and the, the messenger, the one who gives the messages to the church. I believe it's written to the pastor, the pastor of the churches. That's who Jesus was writing to and told John to write this to. Unto the, may I put down there, the messenger, the pastor of the church in Smyrna. And notice here, if it, if we have a four-point uh, division of this. You take out your notes. It's in your, in your little bulletin there. This is the same division in each one of these letter, uh, letters to the church that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the description, the commendation, the rebuke, the exhortation, and then we're in with the promise. So let's begin tonight look at the description. This is a description of Christ himself given to the church of Smyrna. And, and it says in verse 8 again, Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So Jesus describes himself, letter A, first of all, as the first and the last. These are terms that Christ gave to himself, written to this church in Smyrna. These things, right, it says, saith the first and the last. That is the title Christ gave to himself. Basically, what here, Christ is portrayed as, or portraying himself as the eternal, uh, the eternal one. Christ is betrayed as the eternal one. And, is, and this is the same thing he said about himself in verse 11 of chapter 1. It says, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Again, he said this in chapter 1, verse 17. And it said, when I saw, when John said, I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I am the what? the first, and the last. The same thing in chapter 22, verse 13. Christ affirmed to himself, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Each of these terms refer to Christ and his eternal existence. Do you realize Christ ha had no beginning? He has no e ending because he's eternal. You know, I was, I was I preparing this message. My mind sometimes starts thinking about things that the Bible speaks something about. You know, our world was created, I believe, by conservative people any, anywhere from six to 10,000 years ago. I believe the world was created in six literal days, but most people believe it, it literally about six or 10,000 years ago. So if that were true, let's just suppose that the God created the heaven and earth in t about 10,000 years ago. Now, where was Christ at prior to that? What was he doing prior to that? Now, he's eternal. He had no beginning. I mean, ages and ages and eons prior to that, he existed. What was he doing? God's in a creation business. I believe he was created in other places. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But if he existed prior to that, all eternity to pass, he had a lot of time on his hand. I don't think he was just sitting in there telling us, what am I going to do? And so we won't know that until we go to heaven and learn from him. But here it talks about, he says, I am the first and the last. He says, I am the Alpha, the Omega. What is the Alpha, the Omega? The first and the last. These are terms given to the 
uh, words, I mean the alphabet of the Greek alphabet. The letter A in alphabet, uh, Greek alphabet is alpha. The letter Z is omega. He says, like I'm saying, I'm the A and the Z. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning uh, and the end. Talking about he is eternal. So he describes himself as the eternal one. The second term he referred to himself, letter B, not only the first and the last, but he says that which was dead and is a what? Alive. Which was dead and is alive to our world. According to history, they know that Jesus Christ existed on this earth about 2,000 years ago. And he died, he was crucified, and was buried. But the Bible, Christ himself wants you to know he was dead, but he is what? He is alive. He rose again and lives today. In the latter part of verse 8, these things saith the first and last, which was dead and is alive. In chapter 1, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore. Amen. So that's another way Christ described himself, the first and the last, and also which was dead and is alive. That's the description. Number two, now here's the commendation that Christ gave to the church of Smyrna, the commendation. Look in verse 9. He says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are of Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. Notice first Christ says to this church and given a commendation to them, he says, I know thy works. And he begins, letter A, your tribulation. He says, I know the persecution, the afflictions you go through. I don't know about you. I find great comfort knowing that God knows what's going on in my life. He knows every detail. What you're going He knows what you did today. He knows what you ate. He knows where you went. He knows what you thought. He knows everything. And he says to the, this church, he says, listen, I know your afflictions. The word tribulation means persecution, affliction. Most of us today do not suffer persecution. You may a little bit from your friends or peers, but all of us have afflictions. Whether it be mental or physical or verbal or emotional, we all have affliction. By the way, God knows that. God knows what you're going through, my friend. Don't think he's out there just neglecting and not knowing what's going on in your life. He says, I know your tribulation. Christ knew all their sufferings. Uh, that finds great comfort. He knows what I'm going through. Uh, all the problems that I, you may have, I may have. He knows that. He, he's very aware of it. He said, I, number one, Christ knew all their sufferings. He said, I know thy works, thy tribulation. Number two, uh, to persecute Christians. You know, he said, I know thy persecutions, the tribulation. To persecute Christians, my friend, is to persecute Christ. To persecute Christians is to persecute Christ. Let me show you that. Hold your finger right here in Revelation. Go to Acts chapter 9, please. Acts chapter 9. When someone persecutes you, the Bible says literally they are persecuting Jesus Christ himself. Acts chapter 9, look in verse, let's begin in verse 1. Here's the Apostle Paul, prior to his salvation, his name is referred to as Saul. Chapter 9, verse 1. When people persecute Christians, whether it be physical or verbal, they're literally persecuting Christ himself. 
chapter 9, verse 1, and Saul, yet breathing out, what? Threatenings, and this is quite a strong word here, slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of them letters of Damascus to synagogues that he might find any of this way. This way talks about Christ's way of salvation, those that are saved, whether men or women, that he might bound them unto Jerusalem. So here he is. He's verbally threatening Christians and not only persecuting them physically, the word the Bible uses, slaughter, that's quite a strong word in it. Another by other scriptures said he made havoc of the church. He uh, thought he was serving the true God by persecuting God's people. He not only persecuted them, he put them in jail and sentenced them to death. And remember when the Stephen was being stoned, who was the one who held the coat of those throwing the stones? It was Paul over there smiling, watching this Christian get uh, stoned to death. So that's what he did. And as he did that, look in verse Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Verse 4, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou the church? Does it say that? Why persecutest thou what? Me. Now, you say, Pastor, I thought he persecuted Christians. I thought he slaughtered the church. Yes. But Christ says, when you do that, you're persecuting me. When you persecute Christian, now the next time you uh, think about saying something wicked or evil or bad to another believer, keep that in mind. <laughs> and when he's threatening Christians, he said, you, why persecutest thou me? Verse 5. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou what? Persecutest. So again, Jesus said, when you persecute the church and we slaughter God's people, make havoc of believers, you're persecuting me. And so that he takes that very personally. Uh, do not turn that, I think, the verse be on the screen in Isaiah 63, verse 9. Interesting verse. He says, talking about God's people, in all their afflictions, he was what? Afflicted. When God's people go through afflictions, my friend, the Lord Jesus is afflicted. That's what he says here. When all there, God's people, the Jews in this case, in their afflictions, he was afflicted. So when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Christ. So first of all, he says, I know your tribulation. Let it be. Go back to Revelation, please. The next thing he knew they were going through, not only persecution, afflictions, your poverty. Your poverty. And the word poverty here talks about extreme poverty. Number one, besides suffering persecution, they were enduring extreme poverty. Now, that's a difficult situation then. Not only did they have a lot of afflictions and persecution, they were poor too. It's one thing to go through hard times and you got a lot of money. <laughs> but it's another thing to go through hard times and be poor at the same time. That's the condition of the church of Smyrna. I know, it said, I know your poverty. It says, besides their persecution, they were also enduring extreme poverty. However, number two, as believers may be poor on earth, they are rich in heaven. Believers, you may be poor on this earth. Talking about humanly speaking, from man's perspective, you are rich in heaven. You notice he says there again in that verse, 
I know thy poverty, but he says, notice in parentheses, he says, but thou art what? Rich. Listen to me, child of God. You may not have much on this earth. You may be poor, but God says you're rich. You are rich. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, it says of believers, and having nothing, yet possessing all things. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. James 2, verse 5. He's writing, says, to the poor of this world that are rich in what? Faith and heirs of the kingdom. We know the Bible says to believers that he went, he's, went to heaven, prepare a place for you, and he said, my father's house has many mansions. We're not so over told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So you may, not, you may have a shack on this earth, but you have a mansion in heaven. We need not ever forget that. So when you're going through hard times and afflictions, and may not have much on earth. Remember, Jesus says, you are rich. And I don't think you know exactly how rich you are until you get to heaven. We may be rich in blessings on this earth, spiritually speaking, but materially in heaven, you have great riches. Letter C. I know your tribulation, B, your poverty, and now, letter C, your persecutors. Your persecutors. They were being persecuted not only by pagan Gentiles, but also by hostile Jews. They were being persecuted. Now, remember, this is right down the time of Nero in Rome, where Rome was persecuting Christians, uh, but also by hostile Jews. He says, again, in the verse there, he said, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. The word blasphemy means slander, evil speaking, and injurious words. Not only have they been physically persecuted by other, by unsaved Gentiles, but even the so-called Jews, God's people, were slandering them, speaking very injurious words against them, called blasphemy. It was although they were Jews physically, they were not true Jews, but spiritual pagans who allied with others in putting Christians to death as they attempted to stamp out the Christian faith. Interesting. In the history of the church, the most severe persecution has come from religion, religionists. You realize that? It's religions that, have suffered, that gave the greatest persecution against church. Think of the Dark Ages. Think during the Reformation. Who was persecuting true Christians? The Catholic Church was. And so it's the religions that do the most severe persecution against God's people. And that was true this time too. These Jewish people the, uh, it was one who was blaspheming them and uh, having them hauled off to prison also. The true instigator, number two, the true instigator that we see there in verse 9, as I said, I know the blasphemy of them that uh, Jews and are not and are of the synagogue of Satan. So the true instigator of persecution is Satan himself. The true instigator of persecution are is Satan himself. So, but are the synagogue of Satan? I don't know about you. I it concerns me, and we see the direction our country's going, and their stand. They what they how they treat believers and those who believe the Bible. Uh, you're made fun of. You're laughed at. And, and uh, unless the Lord comes, I don't think it's going to get any better. Uh, you know, we, we look at the next election as some hope that our country might turn around and. I hope it does, and somewhat, but it may not. 
it may get worse and worse, and which means that for Christians, it's going to get worse. And we know who's behind all this. Someone told me it's the Democrats. No, I, <laughs> it's Satan himself. <laughs> Satan himself is the ones behind all this, and he's the true instigator of persecution. So we saw, first of all, uh, the description. Number two, we saw the commendation that Christ gave to the church. Now, number three, the rebuke. In each of these letters written to the seven churches, there's a rebuke. But of the seven churches, Smyrna is the only one that received no rebuke from our Lord. Interesting. Of the seven churches, everyone but Smyrna received a rebuke from the Lord. I think I showed you this before. I wonder if the Lord would write a letter to First Baptist Atlanta Lakes. What would he say to us? What, what, would, what would he commend us for? What would he rebuke us for? And Smyrna received none. They received no rebuke from the Lord. That, my friend, that is a commendation itself. There was nothing in their life that God would rebuke them for. So number four, number four. Let's now go to number four, the exhortation. The exhortation. Look in verse 10, please. He says, fear none of those things. Talk about the persecution, the poverty, and so on. The Jews that were suffering and threatening them. Fear none of these th those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that they, ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days, but thou be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So first of all, exhortation, letter A, put down there, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He says, fear none of these things. And I believe that is good for us today. How many of you, like your pastor, are concerned about America? Concerned about the direction we go? And when you see how bad things have gotten the last several years, what's it going to be like the next four or five years? I fear for my grandchildren what kind of America they may live in. When I see the America that I was raised in and look at it now, as a, you wouldn't even recognize it. And so and if you say, Pastor, it's a, I'm afraid what will happen if the Lord tarries. What's the exhortation here? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, he says. Fear none of these things. How many know Psalm 23, verse 4? David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. No matter what happens in the world, my friend, the Lord will never leave, uh, leave you or forsake you. He's right there with you. What are you going through tonight that scares you? What prognosis did the doctor give you that you're concerned about? What condition do you have? My friend, realize the Lord knows it. He's with you. He hasn't forsaken you. He has a purpose for it. Our responsibility is what? To trust him. To trust him through it all. He says, don't be afraid. Let her be. Speaking of the church this morning, persecution will continue. Persecution will continue. And if the Lord tarries here in America, and I think this would be true of Christians, even possibly in America, persecution will continue. He says, fear none of those things which thou shalt, what? Suffer. Talking about future, which you shall, future tense, shall suffer. Now, the perpetrator of these trials, he goes on to say, Behold, the devil 
shall cast some of you into prison. So the perpetrator, again, is the devil himself. We need to realize when we are persecuted, when we are mocked, made fun of for our faith, even though it may be a family member, it may be a neighbor, it may be someone you know, a fellow employee, you got to realize the true person behind it is who? Satan is. And sometimes we need to look past the person and realize the one who's really behind all this is the devil himself. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Now, would the devil literally pick them up and put them in prison? No, he uses somebody to do that. But he's the one behind the persecution. He's the perpetrator of their trials. Number two, what is the purpose of their trials? Let me ask you, what's the purpose of your trial? What purpose is God has and what you're going through? He says there, goes on, going to say, Behold, Satan, the devil shall cast you in the prison, that ye may be what? Tried. He's trying you. It's a test in your life. Whatever you're going through tonight, God is testing you. Job 23.10. He said, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as what? Gold. God knows the way you're taken. He knows what's going through you, that you're going through. And it said, he, he has, he's trying you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to what? Try you. So God uses difficult times, afflictions, persecution, to test us, to try us. And let her see. Not only is it be not afraid, persecution will continue. And let her see, the persecution will be for a limited time. The persecution will be for a limited time. He says, you shall have tribulation 10 days. What that means, it'll come to the end. I don't know about you. you know, when I think of tribulation coming to an end, that excites me. When you're going through hard times, it's not very easy. My friend, one day, God will draw it to an end. He said, it'll be for 10 days. There'll be an end to it. So persecution will be for limited time. Letter D, he says, be faithful to the end. The end may not be in this life, but one day it will end. Be faithful to the end. And that's when he says, be faithful unto death. So I want to encourage you, no matter what you go through and what difficulties you may have, purpose to be like, Job did. He said, though you slay me, yet will I what? Trust you. Lord, I would be faithful to the time you take me home. He may take you home by an accident. He may take you home just by uh, uh, death. Whether What means of death, I don't know. But purpose, as Job said, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. I'll be faithful to the end. I want to be faithful to you no matter what you allow me to go through. I want to be faithful to the Lord. Now, I got one minute. It's time to stop. So I'm going to wait till next week when I cover that. I'm going to ask, we're going to talk about next week, why do Christians suffer? Why does God allow his people to suffer? Uh, we're going to talk about it next week. So bring back your notes next week because right now it's 7.59 and many of our parents have to go pick up their kids from Awana and I don't want them to have to leave in the middle, right in the middle of it. So we'll stop right there. So you come back next week, and we'll take what we left off. We're going to talk about why do Christians suffer.
Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, tonight I've been speaking to those of you that are saved, and that's who Christ was talking to. He was talking to the church, the body of Christ, in a city called Smyrna. This is an admonition to God's people, and if you're here tonight and you are saved, I encourage you to take what we've learned and apply it to your life. But if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, the admonition and the encouragement I want to give you is to put your trust in Christ as the one who died for you. My friend, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty of your sin. We're all sinners. And because we've sinned, the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. And that means if you pay for your own sin, you have to die and go to a place to hell, called hell to do it. But my friend, God loves you. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to pay for your sin. You know what he's done? He's provided a substitute. He has sent somebody already past tense to pay the penalty for you. That person was Jesus Christ, the one who died and is now alive. He died on the cross to pay for your sin. He was buried and rose again, and he lives today and now offers you a gift. It's called eternal life, a home in heaven, forgiveness of sins. It cost you nothing because he paid the price and did the work required to obtain it. Your job is to receive it to put your trust in Christ, the one who died for you, take you to heaven. So whether you're sitting in a chair here tonight in the congregation or watching by live stream, if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, I want to encourage you to do it right now, to take God at his word and trust him as the one who died for you to give you eternal life. Father, thank you for the message tonight that we've seen to the church of Smyrna. We thank you that it's a message from you yourself. And we pray, Father, uh, for each one here tonight, because you spoke to church believers back then and were going through hard times, persecution, affliction, and many are going through poverty. But, Lord, you knew all that. Nothing took you by surprise. And, Lord, you know what people in this congregation are going through. You have a purpose for their difficulties or afflictions. I just pray that they would purpose, as they were uh, admonished there, to be faithful unto the end. And help us, by your grace, to do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.